This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello and welcome to another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. I'm Bob Asman, your host, and it's my pleasure to have you joining us today. And uh, as always, it's my pleasure, too, to have John Goodman as our guest, a returning guest. And John joins us on occasion because he's got so much information available in the area of customer delight and quality and customer experience that um, he's a he's a great guest to have because he has so much um, this wealth of information. So, John, welcome back to the podcast. And for those listeners that might not know who you are, if you could introduce yourself, we'd appreciate it. Hey, thanks very much, Bob. Uh, we, we've been in this field for a bit more than 40 years. Uh, we started out with a research project for the White House that actually instigated the creation of the use of 800 numbers for customer service, then got into word of mouth, uh, then uh, coined the phrase, it costs five times as much to get a new customer as to keep one, so you should invest in service, and I uh, have uh, now been focusing on the end-to-end customer experience, uh, working literally in every type of industry. So I'm very happy to be here. And John, your work crosses B2C and B2B, right? Oh, absolutely. I would say more than uh, half of our clients at this point probably are now B2B, but we find that uh, a lot of the B2C research applies because most businesses have human beings involved, So, uh, and humans behave the same. It's an interesting point you make about that, John, because uh, there's plenty of consultants out there that talk about, you know, the the big differences between B2B and B2C. And and I always come back to the same thing you just said, perhaps not in the same words, but basically we're all a buying consumer. And so whether we're buying in a B2B or buying in a B2C, it's still humans, as you say, and we're buying. And that's that's the core element there. Yeah, the expectations and behaviors are pretty much the same. So true. So John, lots to talk about, but probably the top of the list is the latest edition of the customer rage survey. So perhaps you could give some context around that survey to our listeners that might not be aware of it. And then let's get into some of the highlights that you found in the latest survey. Yeah, this uh, study emanated from the original White House study where we had done a cross-section survey of the U.S. population to see what do people do when they have problems. And what we found was in this was in the 70s and then again in the 80s was that if people have a problem and don't complain, they're much less loyal. But if they have a problem, complain and are satisfied, they're much more loyal. And so I was giving a speech on that, uh, and and there was a guy from General Electric in the audience who said, eh, maybe we ought to talk to our customers. So he went back and set up the GE Answer Center, then American Express, Toyota, Procter & Gamble, and everybody else followed. Uh, we've been replicating that study now for uh, the last 40 years, the last uh 10 versions of it we've called the National Rage Study because one of the questions we ask is, what have companies done to you that ultimately result in you swearing at the company? And we are finding that rage is consistently increasing now. And 
people are losing it. And, and CBS Evening News just did a segment where they had several consumers who admitted, yes, I have raised my voice and yelled at customer service people recently. And the two biggest frustrations that have led to people yelling is that when they call, uh, there are long messages that they are forced to listen to that try their patience and the basic challenge of finding a human being to talk to. And, and certainly COVID, I think, has uh, exacerbated this. But uh, companies are, are trying to jam all these messages at the beginning of the, the call, and the customer just wants to get 90% of which are, are irrelevant. And I've got a great example we could come back to. But, uh, uh, and that's just creating frustration that ultimately explodes. And, and we've also done a bunch of research on civility. And, uh, we've all seen the headlines of people being arrested on airplanes, uh, uh, has, has gone up dramatically. Uh, the second. So true. Yeah. The, the second big finding is that the usual suspects are still the industries that are frustrating customers. Computers and cell phones are the most. Automobiles are second. But interestingly enough, satellite TV and cable is down, and it's now been replaced by banking and financial services. And I think that's also a function of some of the turmoil we've had recently, plus the, the financial stress that people have been under. So in some ways, uh, it's still the same. A lot of people don't complain. We are finding that people are complaining more ch- via more channels. For instance, chat has now surpassed the 800 number as the single most used channel, I think because people get faster response from chat. In most cases, you get a two or three minute response. You also have a written record. And you're not sitting in that queue listening to Muzak for 45 minutes. So, John, interesting findings. The number that jumped out to me in the survey and at, at the highest level was 74% customers are experiencing more product and service problems than ever before. John, with everything focused on customer experience and NPS and all the scoring and the surveying, and how can that be? I'm just astounded by that number. Well, I think that the the difficulty is that while people are allocating uh, resources, they're really putting band-aids on bad systems. And uh and this is exacerbated by the fact that every product is now getting more complicated and and has uh, minefields that you you can trigger. And, and I recently wrote an article where I talked about even the humble package of cherry yogurt has a mine in it. And and what Dannon did was that they had a label on it that said, "Caution: In spite of our best efforts, real cherries have pits." Uh, and Marketing said, "Oh well, we we don't need that. People people understand." And and they took the label off, and the number of complaints for broken teeth doubled. They put the label back on; it went back down. So my point is that that you know, even if if a if a package of yogurt has potential problems, just think about your your cell phone that is you know has terms and conditions that are forty seven pages long. 
uh, and, and directions that take, you know, hours to go through. So it's a combination, I think, of uh, that products are becoming more complicated and people are, are trying to deal with the problem. But the intermediate step is let's educate the customer or make the product simple enough that people don't get into trouble. And that's the area. Uh, it, it's customer onboarding. It's customer education. Uh, it's just-in-time communication. Uh, and let's make all that information available in a palatable format. And that's where people, that's harder work. It's not very sexy and it's a bit harder to measure. So people skip that and go to, uh, let's uh, look at, at our cost to handle the contact and get that number down and everything will be fine. So John, doesn't it go back to some extent to, if you, if you made it right the first time, you wouldn't have all these problems <clears throat> downstream. Is, and oh, so there's a link back to this quality. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and part of this, uh, we, we were talking before we began today about that quality engineers don't view customer experience as being part of their job. If it's, if, if we're making a metal bar, if it's 17 centimeters long, plus or minus a centimeter, that's perfect. I've done my job. And the fact that it's a pain to buy the, the, a product or to install it correctly, that's not my job. And so I've been arguing that the quality industry needs to expand their portfolio to include, uh, number one, the, the, the delivery and use of the product. And number two, they should add the category of delight, because if we really deliver it and get you to use it the right way, you may be delighted, which generates tremendously more revenue and positive word of mouth for the company. And and this is a social science area that quality engineers just can't fathom. John, and I was able to preview your article, and thank you for that. One of the comments you make there is delighted customers are 5 to 9% more loyal than completely satisfied customers. That was an interesting statistic for me, that you can even get higher loyalty. Oh yeah, yeah. And and the the five to, to nine or ten percent higher loyalty is actually not the most important thing. Uh we also found that people are in general thirty percent more willing to pay more for the product. Uh it's the old uh Heather Locklear uh uh hair hair coloring ad, you know, I'm worth it. And so people are willing to pay significantly more. And they also spread positive word of mouth, which even conservatively analyzed suggests that for each delighted customer you create, that customer is going to give a compelling recommendation to someone else who will then become another customer. And customers acquired through word of mouth are much less price sensitive. And so you can enhance your margins and enhance your revenue and put yourself really in the the situation of Cheesecake Factory, uh, where their president says that their marketing expense is one fourth that of their direct competitors. And to quote him, he says, we let our customers do our selling for us. So we don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, John, if I staying with this article, uh, as well as the survey, if I put my supply chain hat on and think about the principles within supply chain, one of those is 
understand what the customer expectations are and build the product or, or service to align to those customer expectations. It's a common principle called the house of quality, where you match the specifications of the customer to the engineering specs, and, and then you uh, make sure you have conformance to those specs. And one of the uh, areas you talk about in your article is just that. Uh, are you measuring metrics that analyze which issues are caused by customer error or incorrect expectations and eliminate them via redesign or clear education that calls them out? I think that's fascinating. And do you think companies are doing enough of this? Organizations are doing enough of this, John? Oh, not not at all. Uh, and and uh, a really stupidly simple example of what you just talked about is that there was a insurance company who will go nameless. And uh, in doing the analysis of the workload, and that, that's the, the, the boring donkey work that a lot of people don't want to do is, is capturing the data on, you know, why are people calling and then analyzing it. But in this in insurance company, uh, somebody had done the analysis and said, gee, we had uh, 30,000 customers called last month and wanted to print their invoice. And uh, the IT guy said, oh, but you can if you just go five clicks in on the website. We have this hyperlink that uh, you can print your invoice. And to his credit, the 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 head of digital experience said, wait a minute, why is it five clicks in? Let's move it to the homepage. And so they moved it to the homepage and the number of clicks on that link went from 30,000 a month to 120,000 a month. Now, what were the other 90,000 people previously doing? They were calling their agent. They were being grumpy. They were having to call someone to say, uh, you know, how do I print my invoice? So you had 120,000 people who could go to the homepage, say, oh, here's my link and just go ahead and print it. So, and it actually had a tangible lift on overall customer satisfaction with no expense other than moving the link from the back of the website to the front of the website. John, you you said yourself just then, it was a simple example, and you've written multiple books. You're an expert in this area. John, why, if it's that simple, aren't organizations doing a better job at this? What is preventing them from improving along the lines of what you just talked about? Um, very, very good question. I think that a lot of it is that uh, it, it's people don't necessarily have a clear snapshot of what their customer service workload is at a granular level. And a lot of that has to do with, with uh, you know, call center directors don't want to do the, the granular logging because uh, that, that can be labor intensive. And, and one field expedient around that is, well, let's just have one of our teams. If we've got 12 teams answering the calls, let's have one team who's been trained do the detail coding, and then we can extrapolate to the rest of the workload from, from that. Uh, secondly, in many cases, even if you have the snapshot of the, the workload, you don't have a performance improvement team or a continuous improvement team that can quickly look at it and has the 007 card to be able to say, oh, okay, uh, do we redesign this product or do we do customer education on it? Uh, and uh, the third area is that this whole issue of customer education is 
nobody's responsibility in most organizations. You have marketing and sales, which sells the product. Uh, the minute I get the, the customer signature, I'm done. And then there's no onboarding team in most organizations. And the assumption is that if the onboarding is we send you the manual, we do a welcome letter that says, you know, here's, here's seven links, read this stuff, have a nice day. And they skip two critical steps. The first step, and we learned this at Apple a thousand years ago, was how competent are you in this product area? Uh, do you have experience? And at Apple, we would say, are you a techno geek? Do you know enough to be dangerous? Or are you a music major? With apologies to music majors. Uh, then we would say, you really need to learn this uh, and, and read this because you're going to be in big trouble if you don't. Uh, and so you have to motivate the customer to want to be educated. And uh, one of my best examples there is we had a credit union that said, you're a first-time home buyer, you've never had a mortgage, you're clueless. And if you watch this four-minute video, we will give you a quarter point off your mortgage. And my reaction was, wow, that's a lot of money. And they said they are so much easier to do business with because they understand the pitfalls and their responsibilities uh, if they watch the video. One other quick example, uh, which I think is one of the most brilliant, and, and uh, I, I wanted to invest in this company and, and haven't been able to, is at Lenox Hill Hospital There is in New York City. There is a neurosurgeon who, when he walks in to tell you that you have brain cancer, uh, the minute he tells you you have brain cancer, you panic and you, you immediately sort of stop listening and, and, you know, your life goes before your eyes, et cetera. He then goes through the next half hour of here's the process. Here's your probabilities. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what I need you to do. But truth be known, you're really not listening very carefully. And if you have a family member there, they're panicking also. So what he has done is he has a medical assistant who videos that briefing, and they then give you a DVD of that uh, briefing, and they find that the average patient goes back and plays that six more times when you've started to calm down, and the compliance and and the happiness of the patients go up dramatically, and that's sort of a, an extreme example. But that, I think, is is one of the best ways of doing it. Uh, at, at Hughes Communication, the installer will, uh, for, for the satellite TV, will take say, give me your smartphone, and they will load the mobile app on your phone and show you the first two things to do. Because if we don't load it, uh, the chances of you loading it are very low, and your satisfaction is dramatically higher if you're trained on the mobile app. Excellent examples, um, for sure. Um, we could talk about the rage survey probably, uh, for another hour, but I do want to get, um, your thoughts and comments about, you know, digital transformation and AI and chat GPT and all of that that's swirling right now, John. And what are your thoughts 
thoughts on that and where are we headed from your viewpoint? Well, I think that uh, the, the chat GPT, and I was just at a conference where that was the big focus. Uh, I think it's not quite ready for prime time in a lot of situations. There are a lot of, of uh, scary things that could be done uh, with it. And so I think that, uh, the, and it's very much sort of like AI, uh, and automated response in general. Uh, it, the, the, the watchwords would be, uh, keep it simple, uh, focus it on transactions that are easily done. And part of that is, is actually presenting the customer with a, uh, here are the range of key transactions you may be wanting, uh, and and having the AI uh, associated with the ones that work well, but but then being willing to quickly get a customer to a human being when when necessary. And interestingly enough, uh, the Social Security Administration has come out with a new website in probably the last three months that is one of the best designed I have ever seen in terms of they're very good at anticipating all the things you may, you know, even if you're a newbie versus you're, you're a veteran uh, Social Security uh, user, uh, they've anticipated all your possible questions, and you you click on one of the 12 or 15 things, which are, are visually very well arrayed, uh, and then it gives you subsets, and it says, okay, for these things, here's what you need to do. For these things, you're going to need to talk to somebody, and by the way, here's the link, et cetera, and here's what the information you're going to need. So they've, they've, it's actually an interesting case of where the government has done a pretty good job, better than an awful, awful lot of the private sector. Uh, the, another thing that we, we find is uh, having very short videos on uh, – uh, how the process works. Uh, I, I had a very minor fender bender and went to the Geico website. And the very first thing on reporting a claim was a 57 second video on here are the four stages and what you're going to need to do. So, uh, it's, it's combining different mediums to do the education, uh, is, is critically important. Now, one of the biggest pitfalls we've seen is that as processes change, uh, the knowledge management system that's underlying the website is not updated rigorously enough. And that, I think, is is one of the Achilles heels of many service systems is that the response system, whether it be customer service reps or the self-service thing, are not being fed by completely up-to-date information. And my favorite example, and I'll take a breath, is uh, uh, we were working with a food company, and this one of the most prevalent queries that food companies get, about 30% of their queries, are uh, ingredients and allergens. Do you have any of this in your, your food product? And I talked to the senior vice president of supply chain, and said, okay, when you switch suppliers, do you do an assay of is any of this in that product? And do you update the knowledge management system? And he looked at me and he said, we haven't got time for that. Just tell them you don't know if there's any of that in the product. And that was a completely unacceptable answer. Uh, but, but, you know, he just couldn't be bothered. Uh, and, and so that's, 
another one of the big challenges is that if you're going to do self-service, you need to have up-to-date data supported by service level agreements where everybody really rigorously keeps it up to date. I love your stories, John, because it's reality, right? It's not not some, you know, fictitious situation. It's reality. Um, it, John, one thing you mentioned uh, is government. And, you know, there's been some movement with government in terms of customer experience and trying to address that and so forth. Are you seeing anything in particular within the federal government that suggests, uh, well, I guess you could also say within state governments as well, that you're seeing a movement towards improvement in the area of customer experience? I'm thinking of three projects that I I was involved in, one with the architect of the Capitol uh, and uh, one with Customs and Border Protection and one with a Midwest state uh, insurance agency. And in all three of those cases, there were individuals pretty senior executives who really wanted to make change and and do it the right way. Uh, A couple of them had come from the private sector side. One of them actually had been a general manager at Marriott. And they are running into a lot of institutional barriers uh, that, you know, hey, we've done it this way for 100 years. What do you mean you want to change? At the same time, uh, we are finding that that they're actually getting some significant movement, even even at the architect of the Capitol with with the the uh, chaos of January 6th. They are in the process of trying to develop a more welcoming strategy for visitors. And the the Capitol and the Library of Congress have done and, and the Botanical Gardens have all done some really fascinating uh uh, initiatives in terms of both educating people and, uh, for instance, making a whole bunch of the history and the information available online so that people can, you know, may, they can sort of physically visit the Capitol without coming to the Capitol. Uh, the, the production capabilities and, and the video has been really quite good. So, uh, we're, we're seeing a number of, uh, uh, very positive initiatives. Now, after having said that, uh, in, in one of the projects I alluded to, the, this person was the third or fourth most senior executive, and she finally threw her hands up and quit, uh, cause, cause she decided that the barriers were too strong. But in, in even customs and border protection, the one, one thing I would say is that in wandering around the southern border, I found that the facilities that those agents are using, the bathrooms don't necessarily work. In Texas, a bunch of the air conditioning wasn't working. So the employees were being given bad uh, environments, and one can't expect them to give stellar service when they're miserable themselves. So it goes back to the employee experience becomes critical in driving the customer experience. Absolutely. Um, and and a point well taken about that linkage between employee and customers. You know, we used to say happy employees equal happy customers, but it's so much more complex than that. Um, but there's clearly a link there. Um, 
Well, and in fact, uh, we we have found uh, a professor from Wharton named Capelli wrote a or editorial in the Wall Street Journal about a year ago saying get rid of all employee surveys because they're BS and nobody does anything with them and they they just create cynicism. We did a counter to that that basically said, well, the problem is people aren't asking the right questions. The question shouldn't be, you know, is your supervisor nice to you and do you like the food in the cafeteria? Uh, It should be, what are your frustrations in trying to give good service to whoever your customer is? And we find that half of those frustrations have to do with internal communication and internal service agreements and accountability. Uh, It's that I... I get a call from my customer asking for a quote. I go to the product management people and say, you know, is this quote okay? Can I give them this number? And you don't respond to me for three days by email. And if I don't respond to the customer within two days, they move on to the next vendor and we've lost that sale. So it's the frustration of not having good internal support is we find one of the biggest things that lead to employee overall frustration. Amazing. Uh, Again, as I said earlier, John's stories always really do a great job of exemplifying um, what what the challenge is and and how do we overcome that. As always, our time goes way too fast, John. Uh, Just uh, uh, one final question for you and, and then a request, but the final question is where are we headed John, we've talked about the RAGE survey. We've talked about AI, chat GPT, digitalization. Where are we headed? What do you think the the next six months looks like for the rest of the year or beyond? Well, what I'm seeing that companies have glommed onto because it's it's an easier win than some of the things we've been talking about. And I'm not arguing you should ignore these, these basic things. Is this idea of creating intentional delight. Uh, The neat thing that we have found is that uh, with literally a couple of hours of training and a bit of empowerment from supervisors, your frontline staff can start creating delight that makes the customer feel really good and them feel good uh, doing very simple things such as being transparent and educating, taking an extra minute to say, okay, uh, you're buying this product. Let me explain the two things you need to be aware of to stay out of trouble with this product. And that given the cynicism in American society, that that makes the customer feel really good. And it makes the employee feel really good. Also, uh, you can show enthusiasm. At Zappos, if you say, I had this lost package, they have a guy who digitally will write back and say, I am the superhero of lost packages. Let's get started finding your package. And that enthusiasm and and a tinge of humor goes a long way. And so allowing your employees to use their imagination uh, to intentionally delight people we find you almost never get into trouble, but it's a win-win-win for the employee, the customer, and uh, the company. So I, that's that's an easy win, and we actually have an article entitled uh, "Creating Intentional or Making Delight Intentional." It's in Call Center Magazine, uh, and that's uh, uh, a. I think that's one simple thing where we can see while people are grappling with these much more difficult areas. 
Oh, that's that's excellent. And as I tell our listeners uh, all the time, if you're not following John and his work, you should be or reading his books because there's just a constant, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, a wealth of information that he has available. John, the request I have is how might uh, listeners get more in-depth into the customer rage survey that we talked about? Uh, if you just go to our website, customercaremcmatthewcharlie.com, uh, the minute you come on the website, uh, there is a pop-up that says order the article or, or order the study, and it's uh, 40 slides, uh, and it'll be downloaded to you immediately. So so uh, it's very easy to get. Excellent. John, thank you, as always, uh, listeners. John Goodman joining us on the podcast today. We really appreciate your insight, John. <clears throat> Bob, I always enjoy it and uh, look forward to next time. Excellent. And this has been another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your network and stay tuned for future episodes of this podcast, as well as my fellow podcasters on the CXFM radio network. And this podcast is also available on YouTube. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.